Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Anna Horn is always looking over her shoulder. For the bullies who torment her, for the entitled visitors at the reservation's casino, and for the nameless, disembodied entity that stalks her every step. An ancient tribal myth come to life, one that's intent on devouring her whole. With strange and sinister happenings occurring around the casino, Anna starts to suspect that not all the horrors on the reservation are old. As girls begin to go missing and the tribe scrambles to find answers, Anna struggles with her place on the res, desperately searching for the key she's sure lies in the legends of her tribe's past. When Anna's own little sister also disappears, she'll do anything to bring Grace home. But the demons plaguing the reservation, both ancient and new, are strong. And sometimes it's the stories that never get told that are the most important. That's the blurb for the 2023 debut novel Sisters of the Lost Nation, penned by today's guest on the podcast, Nick Medina. The novel is set on a Takoda tribal reservation. Whilst this is a fictional location, the book draws very much on an amalgamation of indigenous native peoples and their folklore, beliefs and mythologies. Born in Chicago, Illinois, Nick Medina has degrees in organisational and multicultural communication and has worked as a college communications instructor. He's had four short stories published in various fiction outlets since 2009. Nick became interested in the problem of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls after reading an article in the Chicago Tribune about Ashley Loring Heavy Runner who went missing from the Blackfoot Reservation in 2017. He enjoys exploring the strange and unusual haunted cemeteries and other spooky places. This interview with Nick was recorded last year, and so, for clarification, any books which are referred to as forthcoming will now be out, so plenty of recommendations coming up. Nick spoke to our literary correspondent Hilary Wilson about his book and his interest in Native American themes. Yeah, hi, this is Hilary Wilson here for the Folklore Podcast, and today I'm going to be talking to Nick Medina about his book Sisters of the Lost Nation, which came out this April. You know, born in Chicago, he's always in search of the Windy City's ghosts. You know, his debut novel is in a lot of ways a love letter to his fascination with local and native lore. You know, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Hillary. It's great to speak with you. Yeah, so this book is something that in a lot of ways defies uh, genre classification. You know, it's been marketed as a mystery thriller, a horror novel. It's a coming-of-age stories in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a particular... Uh, classification for it in mind, or is it just all of those? Yeah, I think I think bits and pieces of this story fulfill those various um, genre labels. You know, when I when I wrote it, and even after I finished writing it, I never I never really stopped to say, you know, which which genre it should fit in. I left that more to to my agent and my um, editor with the publisher. 
And yeah, we had discussions about it, you know, how we were going to try to market it. And ultimately we thought, you know, um, a thriller or mythological thriller or horror thriller would uh, best best describe it. But yeah, I think there are various elements here that will appeal to a lot of, a lot of different people. Yeah, one of the constants throughout it, you know, as you stated uh, to a degree, is that, you know, it is a mythological story. You know, there are elements of folklore that just permeate the entire thing. You know, it even starts with a ghost story and uh, quite a terrifying one at that. Um, would you like yeah, to talk that. about that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah. And I, and I should say, you know, it starts off with um, this campfire tales ghost story of um, this little girl's uncle, the main character's uncle, telling her this tale when she was only seven years old. And it becomes this tale that haunts her throughout uh, throughout the book and throughout her early childhood into her teen years. And, uh, you know, that, that story, it's, th that story is actually one that I created. So it's not um, actual native folklore, but um, it's presented as though it is until we find out later on in the, in the book that, you know, things aren't necessarily as they seem. And part of what I was trying to do with that story is actually address a stereotype within native american um native american stories or or i should say stories often written by non-natives when they're mm -hmm. incorporating native elements and really it is the indian burial ground trope you know uh, this this little girl's uncle tells her about uh, something that was dug up in a in a tribal cemetery and it leads to very scary and bad things so uh, you know, I, I was trying to take on that trope and maybe turn it on its head a little bit by the end of the book. Yeah, that um, particular story that uh, Uncle Ray tells Anna in the opening, mm -hmm. it did actually remind me of a scene from uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. You know, in the book, which yeah. fully features the Indian burial ground. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if that was partially the uh, inspiration for that. Yeah, I'm sure that was somewhere in the back of my mind. I, I don't recall, you know, specifically saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna model it after this, or I'm gonna use this as an inspiration." But I've certainly read all of those things, and you know, they're, they're all a, a part of me in some way or another. You they're know, also just a part of the culture. Stuff. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, but there are some stories, um, you know, within it. You, know, one of the characters that uh, Anna, you know, our main character here. Mm -hmm. um, it, had a great fondness for and grew up almost mentored by uh, was Miss Shelby, who was the tribal storyteller. Yeah. And there are some very interesting things that you did with the stories um, of the tribe that she's from, the Dakota tribe, if you wouldn't mind speaking about that. Sure, yeah. Miss Shelby in the book is the, one of the tribe's uh, singers and legend keepers. And so that's a very important role within the tribe, and she keeps the stories alive. And, uh, you know, traditionally, these stories are told orally, and that's part of the Native tradition in order to keep, um, you know, the Native language alive, and these stories get passed on. And so we're at a point in the, in the, in the story, or I should say, we're at a point within the tribe where um, these stories are being lost because Miss Shelby has gone missing. And, uh, you know, no one really knows what's happened to her. And so Anna, our main character, becomes very concerned. She she doesn't want these stories to be lost. She doesn't want the tribe to forget about the old traditions and the old um, beliefs. And so 
Um, I used Miss Shelby in flashbacks within the story, and um, you know Anna often recalls the various um, tales that Miss Shelby shared with her. So we get to see different characters like Grasshopper or Frog, and you know each one of them has their own characteristics and their own lessons. For instance, Frog, you know, is regarded as a bringer of change. Uh, of course, Frog goes through many different stages within his life, from you know tadpole to tadpole with legs and then losing the tail and then you know becoming a frog full full-blown frog uh so that becomes a significant character within the story uh that reflects what's going on with anna and her little sister and the the dakota tribe in general because there's so much um so much change happening on the reservation so i, I really wanted to use these tales in a way that would um, serve the characters because each character has something to learn even anna by the end is able to to learn quite a few things from these tales that she loves. And, uh, you know, it also teaches her little sister things if her sister's paying attention. You know, Anna tries <laughs> to get her to to uh, listen to, to some of these stories. And, um, yeah, I think it, 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 I think the, the mythology and the folklore was just a really uh, effective way of communicating themes and, um, you know, highlighting various characteristics of the main characters in the story as well and that's one of the purposes of the storytelling is um yeah. you know not just within you know indigenous society but you know within all society you know we grow up with stories yeah. uh, we grow up with fairy tales you know and with religious stories with you know all sorts of narratives that inform our lives Right. You know, even, uh, you know, comic books and superhero films, you know, they serve those purposes where we can draw upon the characters, you know, to help us. And I thought that you did an excellent job, you know, within the book of Anna trying to explain that to others and, you know, learning that for herself. But that having been said, I thought that Grace's response to these sorts of things was also a very believable one. It's a frustration that uh, a lot of people who take more of an interest in these sorts of things um, ends up living with. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what you just mentioned about, you know, fairy tales, and these, these native um, tales really are fairy tales for, for um, you know, each, each individual uh, tribal culture or tribal nation. Uh, and that was something that actually didn't even occur to me until recently. I was, I was, I'm reading over a few different tales, and I said, you know, these are actually fairy tales. Um, it's just in a different different form. But, yeah. yeah. Barry Lopez has a really fantastic book um, of coyote stories that I thought yeah. highlighted that. Um, it was, I think, killing his father and marrying his daughter, um, something like that. Yeah, there's so many great coyote tales. And, uh, and a lot of them, you know, just like the... Uh, the old fairy tales from like Brothers Grimm and everything, they are quite violent and they are yes. um, some very dark things with them. They're, they're, they don't shy away from, you know, murder and attacking each other and cannibalism. There's a lot of cannibalism oh, yeah. in uh, native tales, which I find pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, I'm often drawn to uh, a, a lot of the, the darker tales, the, the monster tales. Um, I, just last night I was reading some ghost, ghost uh, stories from native uh tribes uh so, so yeah that stuff always catches my attention yeah there's fascinating ones out there and it you know it it actually you know makes a great deal of sense when you start looking at a lot of tribal histories 
Yeah. And you know, one of the things that really interested me about this book, um, I, you didn't write it through the pandemic, did you? No, actually, I, I finished the first draft shortly before the start of the pandemic. I, I wrote it in the summer of 2019. I finished in September of 2019. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't really... Mm, mm, I was working on it through the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, of course, with revisions and, uh, you know, just polishing the manuscript and trying to get it into uh, its final form. And we did ultimately sell the book during the pandemic. But yeah, uh, the, the initial writing of it took place just before. Yeah, I, it surprised me when I started thinking about that because it feels exceptionally timely um, because so many tribes you know, did lose their elders throughout the yeah. pandemic and there's been a lot of discussion you know of how many things have been lost you know because things didn't get written down didn't get passed down in time you know everybody thought that we had more time yeah and um, i actually hadn't even made that connection but now that you pointed out yeah uh, i i can definitely see how that fits in with you know losing the stories and then there's um you know the character of gran within the novel as well who anna is very connected to and who um, you know Anna turns to for uh, you know kind of comfort and also advice and uh, you know they have a very unique uh, relationship within the book different from Anna's relationship with any of her other family members. I really loved that relationship in particular. Thanks. Um, one of that's one of the aspects of a lot of indigenous literature that I really appreciate is how family bonds are written. Um, it's something that I haven't really seen um, done quite as well, you know, outside of it. And the relationship with Grand was definitely, you know, one of those. Uh, there's a beautiful moment uh, later in the book with scratch-off tickets that I just absolutely loved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought that was a very real moment. I, I, I love <laughs> that moment, too. Um, and, yeah, you know, I actually dedicated this book to both of my grandmothers. I was very close to them. And... Uh, you know, I, I thought about them a lot as I was writing this, especially my um, my paternal grandmother, who was the native one. She was born in Louisiana on a reservation and she um, grew up there. And so that's where I, you know, I got a lot of my influences for this story from her and our family history. Uh, so, yeah, that was a very important character to me, having Grand in there. Yeah, so the book is a difficult read. Uh, there are, you know, multiple trigger warnings right from the get-go with it. Mm -hmm. um, the main inspiration for the book you wrote um, was about the epidemic of missing Indigenous women, um, which we've touched upon a little bit. But you had an interesting story about how you learned about this epidemic. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you want the, the longer version or the shorter version? I think uh, everybody would appreciate hearing the longer version. We go with the longer version. Yeah. All right. So, um, I had written uh, a, another manuscript back in 2015, and it was about a Native American character. Actually, took took place on the same um, Dakota reservation, and so uh, I was working with an agent at the time, who I'm no longer with, but uh, he had said, uh, "You know, you should have a book two ready to go," and he said it should be another book about. Native American characters. And at the time, I wasn't really, you know, looking to write another story about Native American characters. I wanted to go in a different direction. I had a lot of other ideas. And uh, so I was a little hesitant, a little resistant to it. But 
Um, about a week after we had that conversation, um, I went outside my house and there was a newspaper out on my driveway. And I don't subscribe to the newspaper. And, uh, you know, I had never received one before. And it didn't belong to either of my neighbors on either side of me. So I just kind of picked it up and I tossed it into the recycling bin in my garage. And I left it at that for, for the day. But then later in the evening, I kept getting this nagging feeling, you know, in, in the back of my head kind of saying, you should at least look at that newspaper. You don't waste it, you know. Uh, so I went back down to the garage and I pulled it out of the recycling bin and I brought it up to my office. And I was, you know, just paging through it, looking at the different articles. And uh, I came across this one headline that immediately caught my eye. And it was, uh, Epidemic Hits Native Americans. And so, of course, I read the article, and it was all about um, this this young woman named Ashley Heavy Runner Loring, who went missing in two, 2017 when she was 20 years old. And the article also talked about her sister, Kimberly Loring, who has been searching for Ashley since day one. And mm-hmm. she was quoted in the article as saying, I'll continue to search until I'm 80 years old if I have to. And she's still searching today. She still hasn't found her sister. But that's really what spawned this story. As soon as I read that article, I started, um, you know, started pretty much writing out notes and outlining that very night. And this story came together came together pretty quickly, you know, quicker than just about anything else I've ever uh, written. And uh, yeah, the uh, epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls uh, is something that impacts thousands of families there's thousands of you know daughters sisters mothers cousins nieces who haven't been found and it's it's heartbreaking there's so many of these stories like i said and you can look up articles and there's documentaries now and it is gaining more traction and more attention um and changes are starting to be made to to help um you know help address this issue and make make it a bit easier for families to hopefully uh, find their lost loved ones, or at least get the resources they need to do searches, which is has been a problem in, uh, you know, has been a problem in the United States and Canada for um, many years, decades. Uh, so hopefully we will see a change, and I hope this book shines a little bit of light on the issue and maybe exposes people to it if they haven't been exposed to it before. One of the things that I really appreciated uh, your book doing was highlighting just how difficult the jurisdiction issues are. Yeah, that's the perhaps one of the most frustrating parts of it, the jurisdictional issues. So, you know, if if a young woman is is suspected of having gone missing from a reservation, her family and friends on that reservation probably won't get help from authorities or jurisdictions off the reservation because those jurisdictions are going to say, well, if she went missing or if she was last seen on the reservation, then that's where the crime must have occurred or that's Mm -hmm. where uh, she might still be. Therefore, it's your problem, not our problem. And then you also have to look at their frustrations um, because they're going to say, well, we have limited resources as well. We have our own issues that we need to address uh, within our jurisdiction. Uh, So it's complicated on both sides. And both sides are going to, of course, have a bit of resentment. You know, the the, the tribal members might feel like, oh, they're not getting the attention or the the resources that they need. And then, you know, like I said, the the 
um, the jurisdictions that are off native lands are going to say, well, we have our own responsibilities and our own um, communities to, to tend to. So it, it is very tough. And then there's other things as well, such as, you know, if a non-native, and I should, I should also say, this isn't um, something that applies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in some situations, if a non-native comes onto tribal land and commits a crime, uh, tribal authorities might not be able to arrest that person. They would have to call in someone from um, off the reservation, off the tribal land in order to make the arrest. So it gets very, very complicated and it makes it easy for people to commit crimes on tribal land. And then uh, once they leave, you know, they might never be punished. And so they might not have any fear of committing these crimes. Yeah, I thought that your book highlighted what a tangled knot all of this is very well and yeah, how the and frustrations even, on both sides. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of. Even I wasn't aware of how complicated it is, how uh, messy it can become. And, you know, when it does get that messy, that's when people might just give up and say, you know what, it's not worth all this trouble. And so they'll find an easy, an easy um, uh, um, excuse. They'll say, oh, well, you know, for instance, I, I watched a documentary where a young girl was found dead out in the cold. And, you know, the, the simple answer was, oh, she died from hypothermia. But no one wanted to stop and explain or um, explore why she's out there naked alone and what else might have led to it so it's not necessarily the hypothermia that killed her but you know or or maybe she did die from hypothermia but why was she out there like that in the first place and that's what gets overlooked you know i think that this tangled web is partially why you know there's so much interesting native american noir coming out right now yeah it's actually it's playing a, a pretty big role in a lot of books i know there's a Another series coming out soon by Vanessa Lilly, um, who's who's talking about this issue. And uh, I was at a book festival two weekends ago in the Bay Area, and uh, I got to meet a few Indigenous writers who had also taken on this topic in in different forms. Uh, so yeah, it's it's good to to see that it's getting a lot more attention. Uh, and one of the interesting aspects, you know, of your book is the belief that Anna holds, you know, that some of this pain and difficulty, you know, could be met through the conservation, you know, of these folk tales, you know, through the higher level of respect and preservation of culture. You know, is that something that you believe as well? You know, I think these tales are are very powerful. And there's, uh, you know, a number of you know, amazing things we can learn from these tales. And so, so yeah, I do share that belief like Anna, you know, if we look back and we take some time to uh, reflect on what these stories mean and what they are really telling us, because they all have a message. And sometimes mm-hmm. those messages can be tough to decipher. You know, there's times, there are times when I, I'll read a native tale and I'll have to stop and ask, what is this really saying? What does it want me to understand? What's the lesson here? But I think if we do take the time to analyze those lessons and we do internalize them, if we make them part of our lives, um, they certainly can have great power and they can influence how we live and what we do and, um, you know, how 
how things are dealt with and how things are regarded. Yeah, there's an interesting fad um, among younger generations and you know among my generation as well um, of you know the popularity of learning these folk folk tales, mythology, you know things like that. And it's become a little bit of a meme that like all of Greek mythology can be summed up with the idea of, you know, Zeus wanted to make out with this character. Um, and part of that is that Native American lore can be summed up with the notion that Coyote had a good idea. You know, of course, good being in air quotes. Yeah. Um, but I you think there's a lot more to it than that. Um, you know, even with the character of Coyote, I think there's a lot to be said about adaptation and uh, lack of fear of trying new things yeah for sure and there's interesting lessons and a lot of it is definitely opaque and you know sometimes the lesson that we get from it might not be what was originally intended but i think it's still a very powerful thing absolutely yeah, i mean after you know reading sisters of the lost nation um there's a couple vernal pools uh near where i live that i see every day when i walk my dog and that's definitely uh, something that I've thought about, you know, every day now when I look down and I see the toads there, you know, I'll start thinking back to that story and the notion of change, um, the notion of how our identities you know, can be a malleable thing. Um, I thought that was really beautiful and respectful how you wrote Anna and, um, you know, how she thought of herself, you know, as the book went on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and I love hearing that. It's a, a, a great, uh, a great thing. Uh, but yeah, Anna, you know, she she sees these stories and she uses these stories um, in some ways as a reflection of herself. And um, you know, when she thinks about them, when she thinks about the characters like Grasshopper and Frog, um, you know, she does think that you know maybe she she should be like them in some ways. And then we also see at one point where she kind of just says, "Screw it," and she's not gonna. She's not going to be uh, like Frog, or she's not going to worry about worry about him. Uh, so yeah, it's all a part of her growth process and discovering herself and becoming a stronger character in the end. And as somebody who's interested in local folklore, do you think that the stories about the places that you visit and the places that you live have a similar resonance? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you know, with a lot of folklore. Um, there are certain commonalities, mm -hmm. uh, you know, no matter where they come from, you know, a lot of, a lot of them might share similar messages. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they reflect, you know, maybe the culture or the, the group from which they come. But in the end, I think a lot of them, you know, have those similarities that, that link them. And so they are relatable in, in many ways. Uh, I, th I think it's always interesting, you know, what might this story tell about the place that you live in, um, yeah. like the different variations of the uh, man with the hook for a hand, you know, right. coming to the couple at Lover's Lane. Yeah. Um, there's a particularly brutal variation of the tale that exists in Maryland, where the girl at the end hears the blood of her boyfriend dripping onto the roof of the car you know, after everything happens. And that doesn't exist anywhere else in, you know, the U.S. But what does that tell about Maryland? I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but... I don't know, but I love that. Yeah, I love, it's interesting. Various, <laughs> I love hearing the various takes on different uh, different tales. And that was kind of the fun part of um, incorporating them into 
my world, my my book as well, because I was able to put little twists on them myself here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, the goal was always to st- stay true to the uh, original message, not distort the story too much. Uh, but also I wanted it to fit the Dakota tribe. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think like you were saying, you know, these stories do reflect, um, you know, where you live, where you come from and, and who you are. Uh, so even though we have various versions of them, we'll get to, you know, see the the different takes and the different uh, um, reflections of, uh, you know, where they came from. Um, what is the one thing that you're really hoping that readers of this book will take away from it? Well, first and foremost, I, I, like I was talking about before, I, I really want people to, uh, you know, take notice of the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls epidemic. I, I think that's really important. And, you know, even though this is a thriller horror story, uh, and I do want readers to have a great time reading it and, uh, you know, maybe get a little bit of a scare from it. But I also want, you know, people to um, take notice of the the issue. And, you know, if anyone can help in any way, that's great. And there's really easy, simple things that you can do just by, you know, going on social media, for instance, and following groups that um, publicize, you know, missing persons posters or, um, you know, post things about people who have gone missing so that we can get more eyes on on these people and hopefully find them. Um, so, yeah, I, that's one of the big takeaways. But I also want people to, um, you know, especially non-natives, because uh, this wasn't written just for a native audience, but I, I would hope um, it would give, um, you know, maybe non-natives uh, more of an understanding of native life modern native life even though this is set in the 90s i still think it um, reflects modern native life because one of the big issues and one of the things i've read about is how a lot of non-natives sometimes expect natives to kind of be still stuck in the past yeah Um, you know they might be thought of as you know people who are still walking around wearing buckskin and feathers and uh, war paint and that's not the case uh, I actually teach as well. I teach college courses, and one of the courses I teach is intercultural communication. And within our intercultural text, there is a section about natives, and um, you know they share stories, such as uh, on the on the Nata, excuse me on the Navajo land. Um, they said sometimes tourists will come in and they'll feel comfortable just picking up uh, Navajo children and treating them as though they're um, you know something to be to be, uh, you know, kind of marveled at, whereas, you know, we're all just human beings and we have the same problems, we have the same goals, we have the same desires, and we're all just trying to get along in this life. And so uh, I hope that this book will reflect that, you know, we are all just modern people trying to, uh, uh, you know, trying to make the best of our lives. And that when someone does go missing, when a loved one does go missing, we feel that same pain. And it's, uh, you know, heartbreaking and, um, yeah, overall, I just wanted to try to capture that, capture the, uh, the realities of life. I think that you did an excellent job. And at the yeah. end of the book, you do share some resources, uh, for people to follow yep. and, you know, we'll share some resources as well. Right. Um, so are you working on anything new that we can look forward to, even though your book just came out? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, the next book is just about finished. We're in the final stages of editing. And actually, just yesterday, I I, uh, got a great email with 
um, the uh, cover drafts for for book number two. Uh, so that was a great surprise because I wasn't expecting it yesterday, but uh, they're looking very cool, and I can't wait to to finally get to reveal the uh, title and the and the cover in the coming weeks. I'm not sure when the exact date will be, but it should be coming up soon. Uh, so yeah, that book will be out next April. And then I also have a short story that will be part of an anthology coming out this September. It's called, uh, the anthology is called Never Whistle at Night. And it's an anthology of uh, native horse stories, short stories uh, that's being put together by Shane Hawk, who's a, uh, you know, a great native writer. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. There's there's going to be a, a, a lot of great writers taking part in that anthology. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones, for instance, is writing the introduction. I know, uh, I think Tommy Orange is taking part. Um, David Wanbley. Uh, Excellent. And I always mess up his whole name because I know he has a really long name. But yeah, there's a lot of Carson Foster's in there as well. But yeah, lots of great Native writers taking part in that one. So that'll be out in September. And then, yeah, I'm also working on um, outlining a new manuscript right now and editing a manuscript that I wrote last summer. Hopefully I'll be able to pass that to my uh, agent and editor soon so they'll get to take a look at it. But yeah, i got a lot going on and just really um, hoping to keep this train going. I've, I've had so, so much fun with this first book. Uh, it's really been a dream come true, so I don't want it to end just yet. Well, I don't think it will with everything you have going on right now. Yeah. Oh. Gotta keep going. So where can people find you online? Um, they want to follow your work. Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is just go to my website. It's nickmedina.net. And you can find my social media links there. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm working on getting involved in uh, book talk on TikTok soon. <laughs> so you can look forward to that hopefully as well. Okay, I'm figuring that out. Um, yeah, a lot of this stuff is still new to me, but it's all part of the part of the uh publishing experience now these days you have to have all the socials going out oh yeah well thank you so much for your time oh, I've, I've, uh, I've had such a great time talking with you hillary thank you so much for having me on my thanks to nick for recording this interview we have a few more like this which are still on the list from last year to release so plenty more literary folklore content is coming up in the future I'm recently back from the 2024 UK Ghost Story Festival in Derby, where I had the opportunity to listen to some excellent presentations, as well as hosting a couple of the special guests and chairing a panel. I recorded some bonus content for the podcast while I was there, and I'll be releasing those recordings soon, in between our normal episodes. So, plenty of lovely folklore content to come throughout this year, along with some extra features and other bits and all for the very reasonable price of nothing, as the main podcast feed continues to be, and always will be, free to enjoy. Of course, you can support us to make sure that we keep doing what we're doing, either with a small donation via our website or by signing up to our Patreon for virtually nothing, where you can enjoy even more extra content in various formats www.patreon.com slash the folklore podcast is the place to go for that. Thanks for listening. You can email me anytime at thefolklorepodcast at gmail.com with questions, comments and suggestions. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time.